Well, Antiques Roadshow. Uh, do you know that program? It's where the art experts go to various towns and uh, people are invited to bring their antiques along and have them valued. Uh, sometimes people bring what they think is junk and turns out it is. Uh, but sometimes what people thought was nothing turns out to be incredibly valuable. Uh, in the 2011, uh, in the US version of the show, uh, these five cups were brought in to be taken a uh, look at. Oh, there we go. Hey, technology. There it is. Uh, the owners started collecting cups in the uh, 1970s, mostly cheap ones. I showed Catherine this picture during the week, and uh, she said she wouldn't want them in our house. And uh, I agree. I think they're pretty ugly little things. Turns out they're worth between one and one and a half million dollars. Uh, rare Chinese cups carved from rhinoceros horns from the 17th or 18th century. Uh, it was a then record for the show. The owner, though, had no idea they were worth so much. Uh, no idea that they were in the possession of something so valuable. And it's this sort of uh, lack of realisation that's at the heart of our passage this morning. Uh, the Jews of Haggai's day... They were involved in something remarkable. It was literally world-changing, but they didn't know it. They thought it was a nothing. And so like the experts on the TV show, God spoke to them to tell them just what it was that he'd caught them up in. And it turns out that what God was planning with them has actually been given to us. That in Christ, God has given us the privilege of being involved in the most momentous thing that's happening in all the planet. And yet at times, we can act as if it's a nothing. Not even realising what we have. Uh, the word of God that we have this morning is him waking us up. Opening our eyes to the incredibly valuable position that he's given to us. So that we'll appreciate Jesus all the more and live out his remarkable calling on our lives. So let's have a look. Uh, last week, hopefully you remember, the people finally began to build uh, the house of God, the, the new temple, for nearly two decades. Uh, the people had virtually done nothing to build God's temple, and it showed that they were treating God as if he was a nothing, a nobody. But God stirred them up. They turned back to him, so they began to rebuild. But here in chapter 2, we hit another problem. And it's that this house that they're building, it's a little bit on the small side. It seems like a nothing house. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? In other words, all you old fellows out there who can remember the original temple before the Babylonians burnt it to the ground, what's this one we're building like in comparison? It's a pipsqueak, isn't it? In fact, in Ezra chapter 3, which we had read just a little bit earlier, when the foundation was laid for this new temple, all the young ones cheered. They thought it was fantastic, but all the old people wept because this new temple, it wasn't even a patch on the old one. It's a bit like uh, trying to restore an old mansion. So I want you to imagine uh, that you're doing your best to bring back an old mansion to its former glory. It's quite run down. 
But you've redone the kitchen. You've redone the bedrooms. Are all true to period style. You, you think you're doing pretty well. But then someone comes along from the historic society and they've got a brochure about the old house and what it used to look like. And as you look through it, you realise that what you're rebuilding is actually only the bottom half of the original mansion. That There's a whole other story and a whole other wing to the house that was originally there that you didn't know about. And try as you might, what you'll do with this house, it'll never be what it was before. Now that's kind of what's going on here with the Jews in Haggai 2. Only worse. Because remember, it's not just any ordinary house that they're trying to rebuild. This is God's house. And God had said that the new temple would be magnificent. Uh, Through some earlier prophets, God had said that the new temple would actually be the center of the new world. That the new temple would usher in God's, God's time, his rule over all the world. And he would rule from Jerusalem in his temple. And here the Jews were building the new temple, but it was nothing like it was meant to be. It was small. And they weren't experiencing God's worldwide domination and lapping up the benefits. This house and everything to do with it, it it was a nothing. But God had some words of reassurance for them. Have a look at verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now that's a word of comfort if ever I heard one. Sure, the house seems like a nothing right now, but be strong. Don't fear. Work on my house, God says, because... I'm with you. And to enthuse his people even more to keep working on this new house, God then speaks some electrifying words to them. God tells them that this this nothing house will be changed into a glorious house, that all the promises to do with the new temple of God, they will come true. This new house, it will be far more glorious than the first one ever was. And friends, as good as these words were that we're about to read, as good as they were for the Jews back then, these words we're about to read were actually intended for us. Because God here speaks of what he will do with the new temple. And so the Jews back then, they could only look forward to these things coming true, but they have now come true in Christ. And so what the Jews could only look forward to, we have, we know. Come and have a look at me uh, with verse, at verse 6. This is what God said he'd do about the new temple. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Uh, the new temple will be associated with God shaking once more the heavens and the earth. Now, the previous time of God shaking the heavens and the earth was when he did it to Egypt. Uh, Back in verse verse 5, he's just mentioned the Exodus. And at that time, God shook the earth and the skies. He shook Egypt to its foundations. And he did that in order to get Israel out of there and bring Israel to himself. Shook Egypt 
to get Israel to himself. But now we're told that once more God's going to shake the heavens and the earth, but this time it's going to be different. Because this time God's going to shake all nations, not just Egypt. And this time he'll bring people from all nations to himself, not just Israel. Look at verse 7. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. God's basically saying in that verse, you thought the exodus was big. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because this time God's going to shake all the nations and this time the desire of all the nations will come to God's house. It's like a big burly man shaking an apple tree and all these apples appear on the ground. God is going to shake the nations and all his people will appear. Not just from the Jews, but people from all over the world. They will come and they will fill his temple with glory. Look at verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. This new temple, it'll be greater than the old one because this new temple will be for all the world, not just for the Jews. The nations are going to come. They're going to fill it with glory. God is here speaking about his worldwide kingdom. And that time is now. All over the world, every single day, thousands of people are coming to Christ. And Jesus is the new temple. The temple was where people went to meet with God. And now the ultimate temple has come, Jesus himself. To come to God, we don't go to a building. To come to God, we come to Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself said these famous words. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus also said to the Jews of his day, uh, destroy this temple. He was looking at the temple. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And then John tells us that the temple he was speaking of was his body. Jesus is the new temple. He is where people go to meet with God. He died to bring people to God, to win their forgiveness of sins. He is risen from the dead to bring people safely to the Father. And so people all over the planet are swarming to Christ. He's not just the temple for the Jews. All the nations are coming to him. He is far more glorious than the old temple ever was. It's a little bit like comparing our national athletics titles uh, to the Olympic athletic program. Uh, in Australia, when the national athletic trials are on, uh, it's a pretty impressive competition. You've got the best athletes from across the country. They come and compete, uh, the best of our nation. But it doesn't really draw the crowds in, does it? I don't know whether you've ever looked at a national athletics trials, but you've got the regulation mums and dads in the stands. You've got the compulsory journalists. There's a few diehard athletic fans, but... That's about it. It's just our national trials. They're nothing compared to the Olympic Games, are they? When that show comes to town, everyone's there. Because it's not just little Aussies competing against one another. The whole world comes to town. It's a huge deal. It's a lot grander show. You've got massive opening ceremonies and capacity crowds come to see the 20-kilometre walk. Why would you do that? Because it's the Olympics. It's an, it's an athletic competition on a global scale. It is a much 
bigger deal. And Jesus as the new temple, he is a much bigger deal. Because he's the house of God on a global scale. People from all nations are streaming to him. He's far more glorious. And not just because he's for all the nations, but because when the nations come to him, they'll come to him in peace. With the old temple, whenever the nations came to it, it was to ransack it. It was war. But in the new temple, when the nations come, there'll be peace. Verse 9 again. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. That is an extraordinary promise. Just try and put yourself in the shoes of the Jews of the day, of Haggai's day. They are standing among the rubble that was their old temple. And the very reason their temple lies in ruin is because the nations came to it. Seventy years ago, the Babylonians came to the temple for two purposes, to demolish it and to slaughter anyone that was near it. It was anything but peace. And yet the promise of God is that he's going to bring peoples from all the nations to the new temple, and as they come, they will come in peace. People who previously hated each other will come together to Christ and they'll find peace with each other. You hear of Christians coming together from places like Pakistan and India. People who, if it wasn't for Jesus, they would hate one another because their countries have had a a mutual loathing of each other for years. And yet when Christians from these countries come together, they can embrace one another because together they've come to Christ. And he's the ruler of all the world. He's the one who's forgiven them of their sins. National differences can be put aside. The nations can come to Jesus. They come in peace. It's the worldwide kingdom of God. It's being advanced all over the planet. It's centered around Jesus Christ as he brings people to the Father in peace. And this is what God has caught you and I up in right here, right now. It's what we're participating in right here, right now. Because here we are this morning, graciously included in God's kingdom. We're among God's people. We're in God's family with every other person that's been brought to the Father through Christ. And God is bringing us all together to that last great day when God's global forgiven people will be taken into his new creation. People from every tribe, every nation, rejoicing in God, celebrating together in the grace and the power and the love of the Lord Almighty. One people under one king, Jesus Christ. There is nothing more significant or important or majestic in this life than helping others come to Jesus And yet at times it can feel as if being Christian is a nothing. But friends, there is nothing more majestic than helping others come to Jesus. And so look, as you do things like teaching a kids' church class, or as you speak to that brother or sister in Christ to encourage them, 
as you help pick up the pieces of their lives as they're going through a, a dark time so that, so that they will continue to follow Christ. As you faithfully go to a growth group week in, week out to, to help strengthen the faith of the other people that are there. As you try and have conversations here on a Sunday over morning tea and you try and talk to others about Christ because what you want to do is help us as a church family to keep following Jesus. As you write encouraging letters to missionaries overseas. As you spend time faithfully in prayer for people. As you do a thousand different things to do all you can to see that we all keep trusting in Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Know that these things, they are eternal things. And we want more and more people to come to know Jesus too, don't we? We want to see people who don't yet know him come to him for forgiveness and salvation. And how do we help people for the first time come to Christ? How do we, how do we help them do that? We, simply by telling them about him. You know, you can start with small things, like letting them know that you go to church. You can tell them that you are, in fact, a Christian. That can raise some interest. And after that initial step, the next best thing to do is probably find out of them what they think about God and Jesus and life. Find out where they're at. That can usually take several conversations. Finding out where they're coming from, what questions they have. You can help them to see what questions they should be asking. So, for example, they want to chat to you about you know, homosexual marriage. The big topic that keeps coming up in our media. But as they want to talk to you about that, maybe you can help them to see that what the real issue is, is is there actually a God out there who tells us how to live? As we find out where people are at over many cups of coffee, we can then speak directly into their lives and we can help them to see the truth of Jesus. So you've got a friend who thinks that, you know, there's really no right or wrong. You just make things up to suit you. Well, you can help them to think about, what well, does God actually exist? And he tells us what's right and what's wrong. You might have a friend who thinks that people, well, we're basically good. Well, you could help them to see Jesus' assessment of humanity, that actually we're basically bad and we need saving. You might have a friend that thinks that there's not really any meaning to life and you just live and then you die. And you could chat to them about Jesus who's risen from the dead. And that means we can have eternal life too. And why would we be having these sorts of conversations? Why would we be brave and upfront about our personal beliefs? Because we know Jesus. <laughs> we know Jesus. And God is using us in his worldwide kingdom. God is shaking the nations and he's bringing more and more people every day to his son. I had a chat with someone this morning just before church started. Someone became a Christian with them on Friday. God is gathering people to him every day for that last great day so that we'll be with him forever. And so for Christ's sake, for his fantastic honour, we're growing followers of Jesus. And look, I know that at times our Christian lives can seem a little mundane and insignificant because you get in the grind of daily life and it can all seem a bit of a nothing and a bit of a non-event. But brothers and sisters, hear the wake-up call of God's word this morning, won't you? Christ has come. 
The desired of all the nations are swarming to him. The day is coming when we'll be with him face to face. And so we help as many as we can to come with us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your Christ has come. That to meet with you we go to no one less than your very own Son. The one who died. The one who rose again. That our sins would be forgiven. Father, the one who brings us to you, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that as a church family we would do all that we can to see that we continue with our faith and our trust and our love of him. And Father, for all those people that we know that don't know him, Father, please use us to shake the nations, to bring more people to your Son. Help us to to speak to them of you. And as we do, Father, please bring our friends, our families, our neighbours, bring them all, Father, to Jesus and to that last great day where we'll celebrate and praise him forever. And we ask it for his sake. Amen.